0: Hello and welcome to Overdrive, a program where we look at the wide and wonderful world of motoring and transport. I'm David Brown, and in this program we look at news stories from around the world, including Adelaide prepares for self-driving cars. We have interviews about two new car releases on the market, the Citroen Picasso and the Audi TT. And in our panel discussion with Errol Smith, we take a light-hearted look at stories including transit evangelism. Have a question or a comment, send it to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au. Let's get the program going. First, the news. Ford Australia has recalled almost 18,000 cars over potential ignition problems in its locally built Falcon and Territory. Ford says that an electrical connection to the ignition switch could stop working in nearly 18,000 superseded models built between November 2013 and October 2014. The recall notice for the issue says if the connector disengages while driving, the engine will stall, electrical functions will be locked And the vehicle will be unable to be restarted. This poses a potential accident hazard to the driver and other road users. Ford says it is not aware of any accidents or injuries in Australia as a result of the problem, but there were two reports alleging this condition, resulting in the customer not being able to start their vehicles. South Australia is to review its Road Vehicle and Traffic Acts, including making allowance for autonomous vehicles. In his speech at the opening of Parliament, the South Australian Governor said on behalf of the Government that we need to embrace new industries and technologies that will change the way in which we move around our city. Legislation must reflect and facilitate these changes. Our Motor Vehicle Act was written when the FB Holden was being released to the market in 1955 and our Road Traffic Act two years later. The government will reform both pieces of legislation and also legislate for driverless vehicles which will revolutionise transportation in South Australia. The government's other pledge was to make Adelaide a carbon-neutral city. A recently released US report says that virtually all connected cars on the road are vulnerable to hackers – who could steal data or gain control of the vehicle. Connected cars pass information to other vehicles in the vicinity to improve vehicle safety. The report said the wireless connectivity and internet access available on the vehicles opens up security gaps that could be exploited for malicious purposes. The study found the security weaknesses in nearly 100% of cars on the market and noted that most automobile manufacturers were... Were unaware of or unable to report on past hacking incidents. The report also noted that many of these connected cars collect data on driving that could be kept in violation of privacy. In 2014, American car manufacturers issued 803 recalls, totaling almost 64 million vehicles, more than double the old record from a decade ago. This is nearly four times the total number of new vehicles sold in the same year. At least 12 million vehicles in the US from 10 car makers have been recalled for defective airbag inflators made by Japanese parts supplier Takata Corporation. The inflators can explode with too much force, spewing shrapnel into the cabin. It has been said that at least six people have died worldwide and 64 others have been injured due to this problem. Electrical problems and issues with the engine and transmission were the second and third most common problems. According to the National Sleep Foundation, some 280,000 people a day fall asleep while driving in America. Now, a new device that detects drowsy driving is being tested in the US and Canada. Intercore Research Canada have announced that they are in the initial stage of a pilot program for the use of the DADS driver alertness detection system with 26 trucking companies in the US and Canada. The DADS service uses sophisticated technology to assess three stages of alertness in drivers. The system captures information from users with a camera linked to a smartphone. When the DADS service detects reduced drivers, alertness that could lead to unsafe vehicle operation, it alerts the driver using audible and visual signals while also sending appropriate notifications to third parties, such as dispatch centres, parents or other designated recipients. Overheight trucks that get caught in tunnels cause major disruption to traffic and expensive repair bills. The Dutch Ministry of Infrastructure has developed a new truck height warning system. The new warning system compromises a vehicle height measurement sensor, a camera, and a roadside sign that is capable of displaying a photograph. If the height measurement sensor is triggered by a vehicle, it sends a signal to the camera which then takes a picture of the vehicle. The photo is then displayed on the sign screen together with a request to take the next Exit. The agency says that the great advantage of this system is that the driver immediately recognises their own vehicle and knows they must leave the highway. According to the Adelaide Advertiser more than 33,000 vehicles or 20 a day have been impounded in South Australia by police since controversial anti-hoon laws were introduced in 2010. Police figures also show that 3,300 repeat offenders have had their cars impounded including one driver who has had a car confiscated on 12 different occasions. Police said that commoner reasons for impounding cars included drink and drug driving, drivers trying to escape police cars, street racing and driving unlicensed. Other hoon behaviour such as wheel spins, excessive engine revving and exceeding the speed limit by 45 kilometres an hour or more have resulted in impounding. And that has been the news. (laughs) Citroen owners have always been proud of the technology in the car. If you go back to the old DSs, an owner would always seem to take you on a tour of the car, pointing out the button brake pedal, the hydraulic suspension, the unique dials. Now the new Citroen Picasso carries on this tradition with a wide range of equipment, but for a price. It is an unusual type of car. It's a smaller version of the Grand Picasso, which is a stylish people mover. The Picasso, the smaller one, is only a five-seater. It's taller than a station wagon, but does not have the looks of an SUV. Can this car find a niche in the market to help us understand where the vehicle fits in? I have on the line Alan Zervis from GayCarBoys.com. Alan, it's not uh, the biggest uh, car, is it?
1: Hi David. No, it's uh, it's not the biggest car. Um, I don't know whether people that would consider a, the larger Picasso would, um, you know, mm. down downsize into something like this. Who knows? Um, I certainly like the I like the look of it mm. for what it is. Um, I particularly like the extra bit of glass at the front oh, uh, I love on the that. front. Yeah. It is brilliant, and it, it we found that it made it very easy to park.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, the, the sort of windscreen sweeps back over your head. I remember driving one of the bigger Picassos in the rain at night, and you could see the rain coming down on the window. It was just lovely. Uh, it, uh... It,
1: it is, and it's got those pull-forward uh, visors, so the visors on like a little bit of an extension of the roof.
0: Hmm.
1: Um, now, is it the C3 or the C4 that has that as well? I can't remember which.
0: Hmm. Yeah, my memory's not that good either. But, uh, you know, when you go across something like the Harbour Bridge and you've got this sort of extra vision out, it's even almost more uh, vision than a a convertible because a convertible has has that, you know, uh, structural thing across your, just above your top of your, your eye line, whereas this sort of allows a much more upward panoramic view.
1: It does. In fact, what it feels like is that you're in the cockpit of a helicopter. Yes. And it sweeps straight back over your head. It's it's really, it's quite liberating. It's like you don't have a windscreen
0: at all. Hmm. Now, this little Citroen, it's uh, competing with a couple of things. BMW 2 Series Active, Tura? Yes. And the Mercedes Benz B Class, I think, as well. Not very many in that class, but uh, in in the sense of uh, n- uh, what I think, what uh, Citroen call it is almost uh, a, um, a, a an upmarket of taller sort of uh, hatchback in a way, an enlarged hatchback. I think is the uh, styling they give it.
1: I think that's probably a better way to think of it. I, I don't think the, the the B Class and the uh, Two Series Grand tour I think, will struggle to find a niche, mm. partially because of their price. Right. Yeah. Uh, so the Citroen is a little bit cheaper. It's um, sort of under 50000 I think. Mm. Uh, but it's got a lot of kit for $50,000. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I think the base, well, it starts, it starts around the 40 uh 490 or something, and, and, but uh, I think you can get a few extra features with it as well. So, But you are. it is a bit of a niche still there, isn't it? I mean, it's not uh, yeah, for something that fits in the small category, well, the light category, uh, which is almost the smallest category in the Australian market, uh, micros being the only other smaller one for it. So, it's, uh, yeah, it fits into a different category.
1: It does, uh, and I think the people that would buy this would buy it as a second car. That's how I see it, is uh, someone that might have, perhaps they've got an SUV or they've got a small uh, sports car of some description, mm. and this would be the second car that whoever stays at home and does the school run might do the school run and it's got uh, little picnic tables in the back for the back seats and, <laughs> and uh, side blinds and so forth, and I think it would make a, a great... Uh, child transport.
0: Inside is interesting? It is interesting. There are a
1: few things I like. The model that uh, I took for a spin had, uh, we are on the launch, Mm. and it had uh, dual-tone leather upholstery, uh, which I think you're either going to like or you don't. Mm. Uh, I thought it looked pretty good. Mm. Uh, Three individual back seats, which means you can raise or lower any of the uh, seat backs to configure the space internally for carrying passengers and uh, cargo.
0: And a lot of space in Uh, the back, 537 litres of boot space. If you fold the rear seats down, you get 1851 litres. I I mean, that's uh, in excess of a a Commodore.
1: Absolutely. And the thing is, it's all usable space, too. Mm. We had a bit of a fiddle around um, during the lunch break, and... uh, the seats up and down back and forth it's pretty easy it all looks to be one touch uh operation Mm. um and you can even configure the front the center console for example pops out
0: okay yeah alan lovely to talk to you thank you very much for your time
1: Thank you David, it's a pleasure as always
0: That's Alan Service from GayCarBoys.com talking about the Citroën Picasso and you can hear a longer version of this uh, interview on our website at DrivenMedia.com.au
2: Overdrive If you have a question, suggestion or comment, send an email to overdrive at drivenmedia.com.au.
0: In the mid-1990s, Audi was known for their technical development, but not necessarily their design. The Quattro had been a very successful rally car, for example, but it had the looks of being styled from a Bessa brick but in 1995 they released the TT a small sports car the first design had very rounded look with looks with lines from a circle it was cute but had hints of a VW Beetle or an upmarket Daihatsu Copen the next model in 2006 was much better and now they've launched the third generation which continues the look of being based on the shape of a wave to tell us about it, I have on the line motoring journalist Ian Crawford. Ian, gee, it's a sweet-looking little car, isn't it?
3: Oh, it certainly is.
0: Um, it, at
3: first glance, the new model is very similar to the one that's, it's uh, mm. replacing, but uh, it's not really. There's not one There's not one piece of metal on the new one that is shared with the, with its predecessor. Um, the, the TT is one of those cars, and there haven't been very many of them, it, that, that have really lasted... Uh, you know, 20 years in Mm. terms of their general overall styling. I mean, I can think of the Beetle, but there haven't been very many.
0: No, it's done them well and and been an an icon leader for them. I think the front uh, has a bit of a a low, uh, squinting look of the R8 Audi, doesn't it?
3: Oh yes, it certainly does. Um, it's it's always been a very sexy looking car, and and you know really it was probably the first Audi that had any real sex appeal. As you said, they <laughs> they had technology and and like like uh, Quattro and TDI on their side, but they weren't seen as a sexy looking uh, you know producer of sexy looking cars. Mm. And the TT changed all that on its own, and they've sold five hundred thousand of them around the world now uh, since uh, the first generation in in uh, nineteen ninety eight, um, and they sold 6600 odd in australia
0: yes that's good isn't it overall a little smaller only in millimetres but a longer wheelbase and wider track
3: and a little bit roomier inside a bit mm. wider inside mm. um the other interesting thing about this is the research that that audi has done around the world on on why people like to tt and buy it
1: mm.
0: um
3: style is the number one thing uh, and performance comes second mm. um And the other interesting fact that they told us on the national media launch this week was 43% of the buyers are female and 57% male. That's the highest female proportion that they have on any Audi model. So, you know, that says something about what a good-looking car it is.
0: Yeah, yeah, that it has a broad appeal to it. Very comfortable in the driving position.
3: Oh yes, you can get. Uh, I'm I'm a fairly um, fairly broad-shouldered boy. I f- I found the the seats just a tad narrow for me in the back, but um, it it is a very comfortable you drive. You can get uh, you know terrific driving position. There's plenty of adjustment on the steering wheel and the seats and. Um, you really, you get in the car and you feel part of it immediately It's it's one of those cars
0: Yeah, and the interior, inspired by an aircraft Has interesting dials There's no big screen in the middle The dash is a virtual screen
3: Yeah, that's, uh, I'm, I'm a great fan of Audi interiors In fact, I think they do the best interiors of any car company on the planet um, and, and I'm a bit of a traditionalist, uh, you know, sitting, sitting behind the steering wheel and look at, looking at this new virtual um, uh, Speedo and Taco and everything on the screen through the steering wheel, uh, as you say, instead of on the on the screen to the centre of the car, um, it's a bit like looking at a, a very fancy video game. <laughs> but, but, but it... But it is terribly clever. I mean, you can, you can shrink or enlarge the Speedo and the Taco and have the, and have the map in between. It's a much, it's a much safer, um, visually it's much safer because you don't have to take your eyes off the straight-ahead driving position to look at the screen in the middle of the dashboard. You look at it straight through the steering wheel, So, um, it, and it's terribly clever. There's so much information you can get in there. It'd take me to take, I'd, I'd need a 14-year-old child to tell me how to drive it, but, <laughs> but uh, that's, my, that's my vintage, but, but it is terribly impressive technologically.
0: Yeah, three air vents in the centre with controls in the dials. Yeah,
3: they've had those circular air vents for a while now, and 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 they work very well. And and it's all part of the sort of circular uh, design regime that you were talking about earlier.
0: Mm, mm, yeah, I think it, it. And they've simplified the switches and the buttons a bit too. Yes. Uh, um, yes,
3: it is. It is easier to drive um, in terms of the buttons. It's 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 quite clever.
0: Ian, lovely as always to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time.
3: My pleasure, David.
0: And that's uh, Ian Crawford, a motoring journalist, talking about the Audi TT. Overdrive,
1: answering your questions across Australia.
0: It's panel discussion time, and uh, this week we have Errol Smith who joins us on the line to talk about some unusual stories
2: to do with motoring and transport. G'day, Errol. G'day, David.
0: Now you have a story from Northern Ireland.
2: Yes, well, if you're in charge of a country's public transport systems, you're certain to be experienced in taking the Lord's name in vain (laughs) and answering the call of frustrated commuters. But no more for the head of Northern Ireland's TransLink Group. He has quit his post and the $300,000 salary that came with it to answer a more religious calling and become a preacher. David Stran has only had the gig since last October but is leaving by September this year to preach the gospel of God rather than the praises of public transport.
0: To run a public transport system, you'd need to believe in miracles, wouldn't you? If, well, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> I, I have at some stage referred to advocates of public transport as being fundamentalists. They believe in their product, but they don't necessarily relate too much to where people are at and what they need. Um, sometimes that uh, you know that, uh, could be reflected in a number of religious organisations as well.
2: I, I think that's very very possible. Yes, I, I was wondering, you know, was was he driven to God? Um, will, will he be transported to heaven? Um, maybe he just got a good pension plan. I'm not really sure.
0: <laughs> not of this world, but uh, perhaps perhaps of another.
2: <laughs> he gets, he gets free transport, but only to heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could be a scary thing. I mean, the uh, you know uh, Nahum two four the the chariots race madly through the streets. They rush to and fro through the squares. They gleam like torches. They dart like lightning. I mean, it's uh, a pretty errol. I I I that's what that's what the internet told me. (laughs) (laughs) I I I I think with those kind of references, you know, it's uh, I'd I'd be scared off uh, transport as well.
0: I do notice that uh, the book of numbers 21 22 uh we travel along the king's highway until we pass through your territory might be uh, also a reference to through trips in uh, in an urban environment
2: yes but, it, but it was 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 that in a in a bus or a train <laughs>
0: Neither of which had been developed, I think, when that was written.
2: (laughs) I think you think you might be right, but uh, he's he's obviously given up on both of those.
0: Yes, indeed. The meek shall inherit the earth.
2: I was going to say, the meek shall inherit the
0: earth, or at least uh, get to ride on a train. Perhaps that's a, (laughs) a sense of meekness as well. (laughs) <laughs> uh, apparently in Ireland it's happening a bit the, uh, in October the BBC Northern Ireland's political correspondent Martina Purdy stood down from a post to enter a convent that's a, a pretty thing because uh, it sounds to me like our uh, head of public transport um, uh, is uh, is not necessarily going to a Catholic I didn't think it said, sort of hinted that he was going to become a priest it was a bit more of a holy roller, I think.
2: Yes, yes. He he asked for his privacy to be respected. Um, so uh, yes, it was a little vague, wasn't it? But um, I don't know. Not all the best to him. I, I, as for the as for the uh, the BBC girl, I mean, um, pretty sure they don't have any any kind of uh, television or radio or anything in a convent. Hmm. So she's kind of. Uh, Going as far away from the media as she can get.
0: Yeah, possibility. Public transport administration and political reporting. It is enough to drive anyone to religion, I think. (laughs) Now, Errol, uh, we talk about uh, the, the case where authorities have put bike racks on public transport, most particularly buses. I never thought it was a particularly practical idea by the time you loaded your bike rack onto a rack your bike onto a rack it was you know going to delay the bus something enormous but now a kiwi adventurer has taken to strapping bikes under the wing of his plane now I'm not talking about a 747 jet it's a little single-engined 53-year-old Cessna 6-seater and he flies up to the Heffy, uh, track, which is a track for mountain bike riding. I like that idea. Fly to the top of the hill, perhaps, and then ride hmm. down. Is this uh, a, a viable form of transport? There, would it affect the airflow, for example, Errol?
2: Well, I was, I was wondering about that. I mean, it's uh, he has got some some of the photos. He's got f- sort of four bike about the how high he flies. I mean, do the do the tires pop from the altitude? <laughs> is um,
0: it cold? <laughs>
2: Yeah, I mean, it must be, uh, yeah, do so they freeze? I don't know. I mean, if you leave your water bottle on there, I guess it gets gets pretty cool by the time you get to the top of the mountain. Mm-hmm. Um, but you you really want to make sure you, you put those wheels on tight because you're not getting them back if they fall off.
0: Yes, yes it would be terrible to look outside and just watch it fall away. I wonder how he secured them to the particular uh, device. Apparently, he got a uh, Manawatu engineering company to install the bike racks under the wings, but you wouldn't want to bolt them to the wings, would you? I mean, they I, ca- carry fuel in that, don't they?
2: I don't know. I mean, I, I, I assume there's some kind of sort of, you know, standard aviation mounting point there, which, which could have a, a, a fuel tank or something. But... Mm-hmm. Um, Uh, I I, I assume, like, you know, it's a bit like a a bomb connection, you know, so uh, if his customers don't pay, he just hits the payload release button (laughs) and um,
0: goodbye bike. (laughs) Will we have to build more aerodynamic bikes, I wonder?
2: Yeah, I I, I don't know. I I, I assume he gets, uh, you know, uh, you you get a quicker run if you take a a road bike, but (laughs) that probably won't probably won't work so well on the mountain track. Um, I mean, there must be some complications, though. I mean, when you put the bike, bikes on there, you've got to remember to put the number plate on the outside so that the air police can see it.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah, and you you wouldn't want... Well, actually, the picture tends to show two bikes on one side and one on the other. You wouldn't want to have very heavy bikes, or otherwise yeah. you'd...
2: Yeah, I looked up the uh, the the, the web page, and he's he, uh, he he says he can carry up to four passengers with bikes on the wings. So yeah, there's two up to two on each wing. So I, yeah, I, I guess I mean a, a bike doesn't weigh too much, I guess, in the scheme of things.
0: Errol, that's been great to talk to you. Thank you very much for your time.
2: All no right, David,
0: and that's Errol Smith, and there we were talking some unusual stories to do with motoring and transport and you can hear a longer version of that segment by uh, going to our website at drivenmedia.com.au.